again and welcome to Backyard Farmer. I'm Kim Todd and I'll be your host for the next hour of answering your gardening questions. Our panel of volunteers are standing by to take those calls, so get in touch with us by dialing 1-800-676-5446. If your question can wait, you can send those emails and pictures to byf at unl.edu. We do need to know where you live and give us as much information about your issue as you can. Those questions are best answered if you can do that for us. After the show, take some time to check out the Backyard Farmer YouTube channel and the Facebook pages. And so let's start with samples, Jody, before your sample dies on the table. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's pretty hot and dry out here. So um, I brought subterranean termites as my sample. These are workers. And so if you can zoom in and see them. Oh yeah, oh, they there they are. Are they there? There they are. There they okay, are. So they are like a creamy kind of color. They're really squishy, soft bodied. They can dry out in the air very quickly. So if, you know, if they somehow just got off the table, they would dry up within hours. So that's why we don't normally see them unless you're outside and you turn over like a stump or a log and you may see them or in your house, if you're like pulling back the walls for renovation, you may see termites like this. Otherwise, the evidence for termites in a home is going to be like the mud packed frass. And so the wood will be eaten and it will be replaced with mud. It's not going to have any sawdust or any piles because they consume the wood. If you do find termites in your structural wood, you want to call a professional company because they'll do an inspection, do a map of your house and then discuss with you the the options. Um, ways to prevent termites in your home is to reduce the moisture. So making sure the, the, the landscaping grade is good um, so water doesn't drain toward the house. Make sure you fix plumbing leaks and windows that are leaking because any moisture that's going to be in the wood will be attractive to termites. All right, they're just creepy. <laughs> okay, Terry, what did you bring for a lovely weed today? So uh, we've got lots of questions that have been coming in kind of about what is this? How do I get rid of it? It's And a lot of them have been really big lately. So a lot of the weeds that we're seeing are really big lately. We had a really warm winter, not a lot of um, cold. So some of these, especially the ones that have been on the edges of the grass next to the sidewalk where that stays a little bit warm, you they didn't die. So this is prickly lettuce and I did lose a little bit of the taproot, but you can see that this has got a lot of storage in it. Um, in order to really get rid of this, you, you know, you may want to get your soil knife out and dig it out. Um, the best time to get rid of some of these, especially these ones that have the taproot, and I, I think Rock had the dandelion last week with the perennial taproot, is actually in the fall. But if you can keep, um, making sure that none of these go to flower and then go to seed that will actually help control them because some weeds can have up to 10,000 seeds per plant. So get rid of that seed bank and then make sure that you're controlling these, especially the ones with the big taproot with lots of energy. Excellent. Thank you, Terry. All right. You might as well talk about what everybody wants to find, Kyle. I mean, I'm not trying to make anybody jealous, but I think uh -huh. I'm going to make most people jealous here. <laughs> uh, so I have some morel mushrooms. Um, so they are they are out right now. Um, depending, you need to be very 
particular about where you where you are searching, but these are some mushrooms that were collected um, between um, Omaha and Fort Calhoun um, just over the weekend, and so. One, th one thing about morels, they are probably the most prized mushroom that we have here in Nebraska. Pretty short growing season, and so they'll typically only appear kind of that late April into May period, into May time period, but then these mushrooms themselves will only, only last about two weeks. And so once they, and this mushroom is the Underneath, under the underground, there's a whole bunch of mycelial fingers that are sprouting out, and then the mushrooms kind of pop up, pop up above, and this is what we're seeing. But with a lot of mushrooms, we may have maybe a month that they'll still stay good above soil. With these, again, we're looking at about two weeks. And some of the ways you can identify them is they have this nice, this nice stalk, and then just kind of look almost like a brain um, inside of, um, on the outside. But then if you cut one open, which we have right here, they're actually hollow. Mm -hmm. And so that's one way to tell the true morel um, apart from the false morel. If this was a false morel, there would be a whole bunch of kind of cottony fibrous material inside of it. But true morels are actually hollow because unlike most mushrooms, which are basidiomycetes, these are one of the few mushrooms that are an ascomycete. So I would tell you exactly where these had come from, but I'd probably have to kill you if I did that. So. <laughs> or you'd never find them there again. <laughs> it's there, they're probably gone already. So. All right, thank you, Kyle. And yes, we're jealous. All right, Sarah, you brought a beautiful spring flowering tree. Yeah, yeah, little flowers here. So it's always fun to bring you something that's a little bit different, it's a little unusual to, to show. And right now, pawpaws are in full bloom. And they have these, these really unusual little flowers that are this kind of pretty burgundy brown color. And when they hang on the tree, they're nodding. So they hang, they kind of hang down like little brown bells. Um, and you probably remember Lauren in the past talking about harvesting pawpaw fruits in the fall. So these will be followed by a fruit that will hang on the trees in the summer. They'll be, they'll be greenish until they're uh, ready to be harvested. In the summer, the trees have rather large leaves, which gives them somewhat of a tropical look. Um, but they're an understory tree. So they tend to stay pretty short, you know, probably in the 25 to 30 foot height range. They like to grow either in the shade of other trees or, or in some um, lightful sun. So just kind of a fun little unusual tree. Uh, if you're into eating from your landscape, you might want to think about pawpaw. And they're just lovely mm -hmm. in flower. Mm -hmm. All right, Jody, you get the first round of picture questions. Uh, the first uh, two pictures come to us from a Lincoln viewer. She has a six to seven year old Sergeant Viburnum. And kind of curled up leaves, they, they're just not looking right. She's wondering if these are the precursor to aphids. And then the base is also bad too. So she, she said she found some treatments for these, but she's not sure what she should do about it. So is she right and what should she do? Yeah, so these are, it looks like aphid damage. There is an aphid that attacks that type of viburnum and it's called the snowball aphid. And the treatment for that is usually when the buds begin to break, um, you can spray um, horticulture oil or insecticidal soap on that um, when the tips are about two inches and then repeat that. But if she found them and if you wanna look for the aphids, they are on the underside of the leaves most often causing that distortion and they are sucking the, the sap out of the leaves, but they are this really cool like blue, they look like 
kind of sweet candy, like this powdered sugar kind of on these little aphids. So go looking for those, and if you've got them, then you want to treat for them. Okay, all right, not prune the branches off. Um, I mean, they should come back if, if she gets the aphids off them. You can also spray them with hose of water. Okay, thanks. You have two questions or pictures on this next one also. This is a North Platte viewer. They've lived in this home for 40 years. They have these new visitors with these green bodies and a stripe. Mm -hmm. What are they and why are they in the house and how can they get the guests to leave? Okay, so they look like elm leaf beetles. And so often these occur where there's elm trees planted. So it could be parks or you could have them in, in your landscape, but they have a tendency to overwinter in houses like many of our other like box elder bugs and the ladybugs that overwinter. So they've kind of get in in the fall. So they've probably been there for quite some time and they're trying to get out. The best thing to do to manage those are to vacuum up what you're seeing and then seal up the house pretty tight in the fall so they don't get in next year. All right, thanks, Jody. Terry, you have two pictures on this first one. Uh, this is a McCook viewer and she thinks this is bindweed. The leaves of each of these are different. She's wondering if she has to kill it off and then she says it's not really hurting anything where it is. <laughs> so, so what is it and what do, what do we think about this? Um, no, she's right, it's bindweed. The first picture, I think why the leaves look a little bit different is it looks like it's in kind of a patio area. And I think what they're doing is they're continually kind of cutting it off. So it's kind of got a very short node and the leaves are kind of a little bit bigger and they're kind, it's kind of a, what we do for ornamental plants when we actually kind of want them to branch and get a little bit fuller and stuff. So I think that's what that look, why that one looks like the way it is. Um, you can leave it there if you want. I would probably suggest getting your soil life out and getting them out because by the end of the summer, you're going to have bindweed everywhere. So I don't think you'd want that. All right. Two pictures on the next one also. Uh, this is an Omaha viewer. This is also a weed battle. They uh, purchased the house last June next to a neglected lawn. She wonders, is this burdock? And uh, large plants, spiky seeds, chopped them all down, but the roots are terrible. What is the best way to get rid of them? And is there a way to organically control them? So you are correct on your ID. Uh, very good. Um, burdock is a biannual, so you're looking at the rosette for the first year, and then the second year you'll get the flower. Um, you can control them. The easiest control right now would be the ones that are just coming up. Um, you would want to control the ones that were the rosettes last year in the fall, most likely, because that would, again, they're going to have that big root, and you want to get that root down. Um, don't let it go to seed, so keep cutting it back. If you keep cutting it back, then you're taking the energy out of it, so it will kind of fail on its own anyway. But uh, organically, ba the base, best way to do it is you're gonna get out there with your soil knife and you're gonna be digging them out. All right, thanks, Terry. We lovingly call that weed double weed at my house. You exactly. do. Because <laughs> oh, well. it will hang I'm right on. It has it's, a loving family. It is awful. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you have three picks on this first one, uh, Kyle. This is a Sprague, Nebraska viewer. She has a lot of blue spruce, and many of them are suffering from dead branches in various locations all along the trees. Anything she can do about this? 
No, <laughs> um, unfortunately, and that's how what a lot of blues, what a lot of spruces, period, are looking like right now. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of injury that we're seeing from winter damage, and so if there's just kind of bare spots or dead branches spread throughout the tree. Most likely there's some sort of canker, plus maybe some, some maybe there's a critter that was feeding, there's some mechanical damage that's ended up killing that branch. Um, but if we're seeing basically tree death from the bottom up, which was we saw in that last picture, that does look a lot more like one of our needle casts, um, whether it's rhizosphera or stigmina, doesn't really matter. They both behave the same. They kind of move from the bottom of the tree up and the best way to control um, both of those fungi are with a with fungicide applications starting right about when the needles are beginning to expand and then repeating that fungicide application every three to four weeks as long as it's going to be wet. And so luckily we doesn't stay wet in Nebraska too long so we can typically get by with maybe two fungicide applications for decent control but you will need to control those. That said, these trees are not going to re-green up and I would probably start thinking about replacements. All right, thanks Kyle. You have two pictures on this next one also. Uh, she has Maynite salvia and she's got the salvia everywhere and every plant seems to be affected. Is this cold or is this some weird salvia virus? Uh, I don't think it's a virus. If it, We wouldn't expect it to be on, on a, every one of them, um, especially with it all the newer growth. I think it, they just got a little bit cold. Um, I got pretty cold last weekend, so the plants did too. <laughs> you didn't turn yellow. I, I did. Well, parts of me did. <laughs> All right. Sarah, two, two pictures on this first one. Uh, this is a viewer who is southwest of Lincoln by about 30 miles. She has a, a cherry tree with pretty significant damage on one big limb. She's wondering if she should prune it back or cut it off and then cut down the tree. Is this cherry a goner? So it depends in my mind on how, how nice of a canopy this tree is putting on. It's not uncommon for fruit trees to have uh, either just um, bark death like this due to possibly sun scald or a canker or something along that line. But oftentimes those branches can live for a while before, before they kick the bucket. So um, it, if the overall tree looks really, really healthy aside from this wound, then I would say you could go ahead and let it grow and harvest from it for a while, uh, for, a few, for a little while longer. But if overall the tree is looking thin and weak and you know not blooming well, then it could be that this tree is just starting kind of a downward spiral and it's time to let it go and, and replant something else. So look at how the overall tree is doing. All right, thanks Sarah. And you have one picture on this next one. Um, this is an Omaha viewer. She has a linden. Uh, it's been doing this, and this is the only picture she sent. It's been like this for three years. She wonders if this is Japanese beetle damage or not enough water. Uh, no, it's definitely not Japanese beetle damage. And so I'm a little curious as far as what she's referring to. When I first looked at this picture, I was thinking that the question would be about that girdling root mm -hmm. that's compressing the side of the trunk. And if, if, if that's the case, it could be that the bark is actually starting to compress the trunk enough that that bark above it is dying. Um, but again, if, if the girdling root is only on one side of the tree and the rest of the tree is still able to move water well, then the tree may be still pretty viable and you still may be able to leave it in your landscape you know, for, for many more years. So 
look at how the overall tree is performing and how well it leafs out and how thick of a canopy it has and use that as kind of an indication to tell you what is the current state of the tree. All right, thank you, Sarah. Well, a few weeks ago, we showed you some new products at the garden center, but we didn't talk about plant material. Right now, Todd Fowler from Fowler Landscapes will show us some new colorful ornamentals for you to try this season. Today I'd like to show some of the new annuals and perennials we're using here at the store this year. Uh, and I'll tell you whether it's an annual or perennial as we go through it because we kind of have a mixed here. First one is Verbena Black Velvet. Uh, and it really does look like black velvet. The bloom is just a stunning dark purple bloom. Verbena are tough anyway. We put them in full sun. You can trim them, give them haircuts if you need to if they hang over planters use them in ground beds or, or just in planters as is, hanging baskets, but a beautiful dark color to set lighter colors off. Uh, some of the begonias, we, we like using begonias, and it's not like they're all new, but uh, some of them are repeats, but we're just going to highlight them. The begonias of today are not the begonias that we've used before. Uh, for instance, the non-stops we use in full sun or full shade. It, it's kind of amazing what, what we can get away with. So the, the non-stop begonias we do in about three colors. Uh, also, there's some uh, weeping begonias and a spectrum begonia that, that just does beautifully in, in full sun for us. has a smaller bloom than the non-stops. To set off a little more color, you can use whites or grays. We have an Artemisia, a weeping Artemisia called Glacier. Uh, stays really low, but gives you that contrast of white or silver. All of those are annuals. A couple of the perennials, we have a new Veronica called uh, Purple Gum Candles. And it, it uh, is fuller at the base. A lot of the Veronicals of the past had stemminess at the, the bottom. All you saw were stems. Now we're into ones that are bred, so they're fuller from the ground up, which makes them usable again. I was kind of tired of the old ones that looked really stemmy. A salvia that we just love is called Rose Marble. Huge blooms for a salvia. Doesn't get real tall. Leaves are larger. Uh, almost glows in the dark in the landscape. Just a, a beautiful salvia. Those two are perennials. Couple annuals. The, the perennial uh, annuals that I like are petunias because they bloom all summer. They can take full sun, beating hot areas. Uh, grape ice is the dark purple one. Again, almost glows in the dark. It's a beautiful, uh, really dark center. And then the, the lighter purple as you go out to the outer edge. And then Piccadilly Circus is a bicolor. Kind of one of those happy or cheery looking petunias, almost like a hula hoop type. And then uh, finally, we've got some coral bells. Those are perennial, or we hope they are. Sometimes you get winters that may knock them, but we've uh, liked the Northern Exposure series. And today we've got Northern Exposure Black and Northern Exposure Silver. Uh, both of them have the dark foliage that contrasts with the light pink blooms, almost a whitish bloom. So these may be some things that you can try in your own garden whether annual or perennial, uh, something new to try, and uh, come check us out. We hope you'll give some of those a try this season, and we want to say thanks to Todd and Fowler Landscapes for helping us produce this feature. We're going to hear from him again next week. He'll focus on fir tree selections. All right, Jody, 
uh, two pictures on this one. This comes to us from someone we know in Omaha, Scott, and uh, a client brought in this privet thinking it was winter damage or another environmental issue. What is it for real? This is witch's broom, and it's just a, a cluster of abnormal growth that's on the branches, and it can be caused by insects, but it also can be ca caused by phytoplasmas, which I don't know much about, but viruses and, and fungal infections stuff. either. Stuff, it other stuff. A phytoplasma is a, it's a bacteria that thinks it's a virus, is the easy way to describe it. <laughs> Perfect. Two pictures on the next one also, Jody. This is a Bloomington viewer. Uh, appears that these are damaging the leaves on his apple tree. How does he treat? Yeah, these are apple flea beetles. So they jump if you touch them. They've got really strong hind legs, but they're also good flyers. If you're still seeing them feeding on the apple leaves like this, you can treat them with neem and then repeat again in like 14 days. All right. Terry, you have two pictures on this one. This is an Omaha viewer. Uh, he is assuming this is tall fescue. He's tried pretty much everything to kill it. And then he has tried a, a, a chemical of some sort. He's wondering if it's only available uh, to commercial applicators. Close surf, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> something so, unpronounceable. So um, no, it is not a restricted use um, chemical, um, but I could not find on the label. I did look up the label and I could not find where it would, you would treat the fescue. And this is like a, more like a forage one. Mm -hmm. So I have no idea how many how much of this is in his landscape. So if he's just digging up one or two, I would just go out and dig up one or two and get rid of it. And then just make sure that you're treating your turf correctly and, and putting the, the fertilizers on and all that kind of stuff um, at the appropriate time. Or And send us maybe a picture of the whole yard yeah, so we can see what yeah. it is. Okay. So you have three picks on the next one, Terry. Uh, this is a Lodgepole, Nebraska viewer and simply wondering what kind of turf this is. It greens up late and goes dormant early. Yep, so there's a warm season turf. This is windmill grass. Um, that, that real fine um, was kind of the, the guess and I did um, actually do a little call out to rock just to double check that I was guessing at this one correctly because you can't see like all the pieces that you normally ID turf with. So it's a warm season turf. You can keep it in your turf if you want. You're just gonna know that it's gonna not green up till later when it warms up and then it's gonna brown up later. So if you want to get rid of it, then you're gonna have to do a non-selective herbicide or you can use um, mesotrone to do that, which is tenacity um, that will control it. But you had a very large area, so if you don't mind it, I would it. just leave it. <laughs> All right, thanks, Terry. Two pictures for you on this one, Kyle. Uh, calling it a very scary service berry. Uh, Multi-stem service berry, it is not leafing out as much as it usually does. He's wondering if it's damaged from freezes and will it come out of it? And then he's got sort of some odd looking, strange colors on the spent flowers. Yeah. I. Fortunately, I think there's a, a few scary things with this service berry that are occurring. Um, you know, the lack of leaves makes me wonder if there's not some sort of root issue, um, potentially a root rot or some other problem that's 
kind of a, an ongoing issue. The cold weather that we've had certainly is not helping not helping things. And then with the um, the odd coloration on those on those flowers, that is almost looking a little bit like serviceberry rust, which is another one of our gymnosporangium rusts, similar to cedar apple rust. But in, with this one, instead of a nice gall on the cedar trees, we kind of just get a swelling that will kind of turn a little bit orange um, on the cedar trees. But then we'll get that swollen flowers on the service berries as well. So I think there's a few things going on. Um, the lack of leaves are what I would be most concerned about. If it doesn't leaf out yet this year, I would probably start thinking about something else. All right, Kyle, uh, three picks on this next one. This is a person in Lincoln with Japanese tree lilac who took the pictures last year mm -hmm. for us. Uh, three years old, the leaves, uh, they're wondering, is this weather or disease? And, and the, they have leafed out this far by now. Each year they've done this. So it looks exactly like the lilacs at, at my house, and that's all cold damage. And so there is bacterial blight, can show some similar symptoms. We can get some blackening of the leaves, um, blackening of the flowers as well. But at least all the ones that I've looked at, I've not been able to find any bacterial streaming. So in, again, multiple years in a row, it really does sound like it's, a, um, like it's an environmental thing. Luckily, with, with that amount of damage, I wouldn't expect it to be long-term. All right, thank you. Sarah, you have three pictures on this one. This is Elwood, Nebraska in Gosper County. A maple tree that's been shedding bark is how they've described it for about three years. They're wondering, um, is it okay? Is it a lost cause? The tree is about 33 inches in diameter. So I would consider that to be a fairly minor amount of bark shedding. Mm -hmm. And some trees just do this normally. You're, I mean, you're not getting down to the inner white wood or anything. This is very surface bark that's falling away. If this is as bad as it gets, I would say this is completely normal and the tree is probably going to live for a long, long time. All right, Sarah, you have one picture on this next one. This is a Bennington viewer. Um, it has been nurturing this shrub for about seven years. Doesn't know what it is. It's purple leaf plum, we think. Mm -hmm. But he's wondering, uh, can, he, can he prune it a little more tidily? Sure. Yeah, sure you can. Um, um, you know, if this was growing as a tree with a central trunk, it would be a different situation, but it, it looks like it, you've been growing it as a shrub for many years. So if you cut some of those stems down, um, the, the shrub will probably just send up more new stems from the base of the crown. So you can either take some stems all the way down and thin it out and bring some of the width in, or you could take off some of the height and some of the, the length on, on the branches. So um, either way would be fine. All right, thank you, Sarah. Well, we have some cool season crops already poking out of the ground and a few pansies in containers in our garden. Terry James says we're getting a little closer to planting in the main garden. Let's take a few minutes to see what's new in the backyard farmer garden. in the backyard farmer garden we're just about ready to pull all of those plants out of the greenhouse the evenings are now going to start warming up uh, we're going to hope for a little bit of rain this coming week so we're hoping to be able to get plants out of the greenhouse hardened off and then planted within the next couple weeks but first we're going to work on some of our containers so those uh, cool season plants will most likely be coming out 
We're gonna get those containers ready for the summer with adding new soilless mix, adding the slow release fertilizer, and then getting them planted. So if you're really looking at and excited about adding that pop of color across your landscape and into those little nooks and crannies where you don't have anything going, why don't you try thinking about adding a container? We're also ready to get our raised beds up and going. And so if you wanna see some really cool raised beds, stop by the Backyard Farmer Garden and check them out. And right now it is time for the lightning round. Sarah, you have a big list, so we'll see how right. well you do. Let's do it. We have a viewer who says his tulips are great, but he wants to separate them. Does he need to let them dry, and when does he separate? You need to let the foliage live as long as possible to regenerate those bulbs. When it dies, starts to die back naturally, you can dig them up, separate, and replant. A second viewer says his daffodils didn't flower this year. Will they flower next year if he leaves them alone? Maybe. Um, if they didn't flower this year, it indicates that they're losing vigor. And unless you do something, they may just continue to lose vigor and, and not bloom again. All right. This is an Omaha viewer who wonders if you're familiar with flamethrower redbud. No, I am not. Not very familiar with that one. All right. Uh, we have a viewer who, who says the June-bearing and ever-bearing strawberries are not all coming up the same. Is one earlier or later than the other? June everbearing usually will have a, a little bit of a, a small crop early in the season, and then they'll kind of scattered throughout the rest of the season. Uh, but then the, the June bearing are going to come up with a big flush of berries in June. So, all right. Uh, this is a papillion viewer who wants to know whether they should use a root feeder to water deeply. No, I don't like to recommend that because you could potentially move that push that root feeder down in the ground below a good portion of the roots. So I think it's better to just water from the soil surface. All right. Thank you, Sarah. Nice job. All right, Kyle, ready? Let's rock and roll. <laughs> we have a Logan, Iowa viewer who has a moon glow pear. It starts out well, then the leaves turn black and the season ends poorly. What do you think? Uh, scab. <laughs> and that same Logan viewer is going to wonder what to do. Uh, you can apply fungicides um, to it, but honestly, if, it's, if the tree is continuing to leaf out year after year, leaves are overrated. And so they could, trees can drop some leaves. <laughs> All right. Uh, we have a viewer who wonders whether the issue with downy mildew and impatience is gone. So is the plant used to safe, in gar safe to use in gardens? Uh, no, the issue is not gone. Um, it, it'll come back. All right. Uh, is hosta virus X prevalent here? A viewer saw it, they think. Um, kind. I'm hesitant to answer this one, really, because it leads to a lot more questions about hosta virus X. Um, hosta virus X is pretty ubiquitous. Not, it's not everywhere, but we can find it most places. All right. What is the first sign of viruses that might be in the soil? This is from a Columbus viewer. Um, it would depend on the type of plant, but if you would have a soil-borne virus, you would expect that plant as it's first coming up to kind of have those virusy symptoms. <laughs> that was pretty good on the fly. I don't think that one counts. Okay, Terry. Are you ready, Terry? Yep. This is uh, two Omaha viewers uh, asked the same question. When do they put down their crabgrass preventer? Uh, you should already have it down. All right. We have a viewer who wonders how you kill broadleaf weeds in a micro, cl micro clover lawn without killing the micro clover. 
<laughs> you're gonna have to. You're, gonna, you're probably gonna have to go out there with your soil knife and just do it by hand. All right. Uh, what is the ingredient in in a in a chemical if you're seeding a new lawn that will get rid of the weeds but not hurt the seedlings? Oh, that that would be the mesotrone. That's the tenacity. All right. Uh, it's very hard to find. All right. Uh, this is a, a North Bend viewer who wants to know how you control sand burrs in the lawn. Um, I would put a pre-emergent down. So when you and I would do it like the two steps. Normally we say to do it, you know, like, mid, well, okay, so you're further west. So, so you, you would probably be doing it now <clears throat> for um, your crabgrass and then do it about three to four weeks later to do it for those warmer season crops. And North Bend is north of here. Oh, I thought you said something else. <laughs> you thought I said North Platte. I did. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jody, are you ready? Okay, <clears throat> sure. <laughs> All right, your first one is, uh, they apparently have hibiscus and he's calling them a Japanese beetle haven. They only eat the flowers. Oh yeah, they love he's, it. <laughs> he's wondering <laughs> if, if he just transplants the hibiscus, will the grubs go with it and he'll still have Japanese beetles? Well, the grubs might not go with you, but the Japanese beetles will find it. I actually pulled mine out because I couldn't handle it anymore. All right. This is an Omaha viewer who wonders whether mason bees actually live around here. Oh, yes, absolutely. They should be, like, any time now. They're, like, one of the earlier um, stem right. nesting bees. So the same viewer is wondering whether mason bee houses work, and can he build one? You can. For mason bees, they need a little bit larger of a diameter hole than the quarter inch. But yeah, there's a lot of plans that you can use to build one. But. All right, this is a viewer uh, in Bellevue who says their lawn company wants to spray the whole lawn for mosquitoes and says it won't kill the pollinators. Is this a yes or a no? I don't recommend that unless you're having a problem with mosquitoes. That's usually for the adult mosquitoes. So I would do your prevention for the larvae and dump standing water. All right, we have a one moth every night, one inch long, flying into a house. Any idea? A moth, uh, it's attracted to light. The one that I've been getting all week is like the army worm. Okay, awesome. Nice job, all who won. <laughs> it was a tie. <laughs> all right, Sarah, plants of the week. Yeah, these are, <laughs> these are some great plants here. Um, I, I, I really love uh, this plant right here, which is variegated Solomon seal. And it's a wonderful little plant for more shaded areas of the landscape. It grows from a rhizominous root system and it will just kind of slowly spread throughout an area. Um, it's not considered invasive at all. It has these beautiful little flowers that just kind of hang down and those will turn in. There will be a green berry that comes on, and um, but you'll probably never see them because the wildlife eat those berries off. They, they like them very much. So the variegated Solomon seal will usually get to be around, around two feet, maybe a little bit taller. The, the regular green Solomon seal gets even a little bit taller, but they're both great perennials for a shade garden. Um, then here in the front, we have um, American black currant, which is um, a, a little more unusual current, uh, uh, compared to some of the common ones we see, but obviously blooming right now in the spring and you'll have berries that will come on later in the year. And um, so a nice shrub again for a, a sun to part shade area. Excellent, thank you, Sarah. All right, Jody, your first picture comes to us from Rembrandt, Iowa. 
uh, wants to know what this insect is, this very first one. I think we just have one pick and he put in some money next to it. Yeah, I have no idea. It's one of like many robust moths at night, but it doesn't look like they have any scales and I don't have any more information to go on. So I would just say it's a brown moth. Okay, <laughs> uh, two pictures on the next one. This comes to us from Omaha. She thought this was woolly aphids covering the catkins or the, or the seed pods on her uh, prairie gold aspens. No, nope. that's just part of the tree, I believe. Mm, I think you're right. And uh, so if it was woolly aphids. Yeah, if aphids. it was woolly aphids, they're on a lot of different trees. I don't know if they've ever been on aspens, but they're on the stem and they fly around. You would not be able to see them from that far away. All right, one more on this one. Uh, this is not a great picture, but she thought she got rid of the ants in the grass. Apparently not, they keep coming back. How do you get rid of ants in the yeah, grass? Yeah, so they're probably pretty deep down. So you're gonna want to rake as much of that, the piles away, and then you're gonna likely wanna do a drench. So that's gonna be insecticide. So get that, follow the label, make sure ants are on it, be very careful. All right, thanks so much. Terry, three, picks uh, on this next one. This is a Lincoln viewer, uh, difficulty with brown patches in the yard for the last two years. They were fairly small, but now they're huge areas of dead grass. They did have a serious grub problem, replanted grass in those areas, it's so-so. So what do you think she does here? So um, part of the problem with the grubs is that they, they eat the roots. So we've had very dry, um, two years now, so not a lot of root system. So if you're not watering deep and creating like that deep root system, then that grass is gonna suffer. It's gonna suffer throughout the winter. Um, I believe this one maybe had a tree competition with it too. So the tree's gonna beat the turf out. So if you are not, again, watering deeply down, that the tree's gonna win, the turf's gonna lose. Um, so you need to be aerating it. You need to make sure that you're watering it. Um, I would baby it as much as you can. Uh, you could probably still get a little bit of seed down and try to overseed now, but it's basically good management. All right, two picks on this next one. Um, grass growing quite well where we had a little dog watering for the weekend. So she's wondering whether she needs to give the rest of the turf some fertilizer. No, no, it's <laughs> fine. It'll, it'll go away. It's just like a little extra nitrogen. Um, if you're doing, you know, regular management of your turf the right way, you'd be putting a fertilizer down late May anyway. Um, but it looks like you need to do a little bit of aerating. It looks like a little compact compaction, some overseeding. So I don't know if you have dogs all the time, but you're gonna have to kind of keep them off areas and get your turf up and going. All right, one more, and this is a what is it and how do I kill it? And if we need another picture, let's just tell her that. So I, we kind of looked at this. We think it might be downy brome. Um, I can't see the little hairs and stuff on it, so it, w it was just a little too far away. If you could send one in that's a little bit closer, if it's downy brome, then <clears throat> it'll be coming up now, but it's best just to kind of pull it out. Don't let it go to seed. All right, perfect. Kyle, you have three pictures on this first one. This comes to us from Loveland, Colorado. There are uh, four Bosnian pines beginning to turn brown last fall. 
Um, they do get irrigated and supplementally watered. He's wondering, is this, is this a disease in these pines or is it potentially just environmental? I think there's some, uh, there's some environmental aspects to it, um, but as I was zooming in on these pictures, you could often see some kind of red bands around those, around those brown needles as well, and that's pretty common with Dothostroma needle blight, um, which again is going to start at the bottom of the tree um, and then can infect the, we'll see it, often see, it infects newer needles, but we often don't see the damage on the newer needles, we see the damage on the older needles, and I think that's the main thing that we're seeing here. Um, and so fungicides, um, something like that contains chlorothalonil, um, or, um, or Bordeaux's mixture, a copper product, would work fairly well, but now is the time that you'd wanna be getting that first application, and then come back in about four weeks and reapply. All right, two picks on this next one. This is Silver Maples, uh, and this is Wood River. One is showing this kind of bronzing on the whole tree. Any ideas on this one? Um, it looks kind of cool, but <laughs> no, I, I don't think it's anything disease-related. There are, um, There is a bacterial leaf scorch that can cause similar symptoms to this, but with it being the entire tree, and all the rest of the trees in the, um, in the landscape are doing okay. I think that there is just something wrong with this tree. Um, talked to Sarah about it a little bit earlier and really thought just hold off, wait, see how, see how this tree handles the, this year before making any big decisions. All right, Sarah, you have two picks on this. This is dwarf Alberta spruce. <laughs> They've grown over the years. Um, the, the issue is not the weed, the issue is what is happening and can she correct the top of this tree? <laughs> so actually this is really common in dwarf Alberta spruce. Dwarf Alberta spruce was, con was collected originally as a mutation off of a standard Colorado spruce. And what's happening with this tree is it's just reverting back to the original genetics and the original um, uh, inner node length and leaf size and all of that. So if you want to, what you need to do is go in and prune this out. You need to figure out where it originates on the plant or on the stem and cut all of that out that has that larger growth. And, and if you do that, then you can hopefully maintain the, um, uh, the original dwarf Alberta spruce that you had in your landscape. All right, thanks, Sarah. Uh, two picks on this next one. It's a, it's a big U, uh, looks like it maybe had a little damage. That side doesn't look great. Anything other than it's got some new growth on it, I think. Yeah, I mean, there is some new growth coming there and obviously we have no idea what happened to it. But what I would suggest at this point is just go in, cut out all the dead branches and, um, uh, and then just give it some good water. I'd mulch around the base to help maintain just the overall vigor of the plant and, um, and see if it can grow out of it, if it can develop some new branches or, or grow in, fill in that, that open spot. So just cut out the dead, give it good maintenance, some mulch and some water, and let's see if it can grow out. All right, and one more, and this is a Loop City viewer who wants to know what this beautiful thing is. Yeah, so this is clove currant, which is just another type of currant compared to the one that we just saw a few minutes ago. This one has a nice fragrance to it. Um, and um, again, you'll get edible fruits off of it as well. So clove currant. Excellent, thanks so much. Well, we certainly had some dry weather last fall. We have been fortunate in some spots to get some precipitation. If you did plant any trees or shrubs this fall, they might need a little extra attention going into the spring months. Here's John Fesch to tell us more.
All right, it's springtime, and maybe you're like a lot of the other viewers, you've put in some trees and shrubs already this spring. If that's the case, there are a number of considerations. Some things to do, some things not to do, and then some things that might be a good idea to do, depending on the local situation. First of all, moisture. Now, we want to keep the roots moist, but not soggy and not dry. A lot of viewers like to really tend and really care for plants, and that really leads to, in many cases, an overdoing of the water. Use a screwdriver, stick it in the ground, pull it out, and feel the end of it. It'll tell you whether it's too moist or not too moist. The second thing is, in order to cool the soil temperature and to keep the moisture intact, in two to three inches of wood chips around the base of the tree really work really well. Again, too much is too much. Uh, and also, piling them against the trunk is not so good. Uh, that really equates to what we call a mulch volcano. Uh, it's not good because it holds in too much moisture and it also protects the, the plant and creates a haven for critters. Now, speaking of critters, that might be something you want to think about is around the base of the tree, you need some critter protection, especially if you're in a wild and woolly situation. So hardware cloth and, um, and chicken wire, those become really good things you might want to think about. Um, the other thing that maybe you do is provide some staking for the tree. Now this is important if you're in a windswept area. So if you're in an area that gets uh, really strong winds all summer long, well, then maybe some loose staking is, is in, in order. Uh, we can do this a variety of ways. We can use rigid stakes and then loosely tie uh, some strapping material to them. Or we can use whatever's nearby, like if there happens to be a fence nearby. We can tie a, a loose string around that and then something around the tree or tr tree's trunk that isn't too tight. And that works out really well also. So you just kind of have to size up the situation. Now, in terms of things you just don't want to do, you don't want to put on any starter fertilizer at planting time. We want to let the soil uh, encourage the new roots to go off. Of course, you want to loosen the soil and let the roots start going off by themselves. But there's always a risk of burning the roots when you put on starter fertilizer and also possibly creating too much top growth at the expense of root growth. So no fertilizer at planting time. Also no vitamins at planting time. There's no research that supports the uh, use of vitamins. In fact, just the opposite. Uh, some of the research from Washington State and other land-grant universities indicate that it's not, it's not helpful at all. And so why pay for it? Why use it? So keep all those things in mind and you'll be off to a really good start getting those new trees and shrubs in force and having success as the year rolls along. Thanks, John. And we do hope your trees and shrubs are getting the care they need to get established for the growing season. You can get plenty of tips on trees and shrubs by searching for video features on the Backyard Farmer YouTube channel. We have hundreds of videos with tips on this and many other useful topics as well as those past programs. We do hope you'll use our channel to help you grow plants the right way. Check it out after the show and make sure you hit that subscribe button. We have uh, several announcements. The first, we are still having the Hort Club Spring Bedding Sale uh, tomorrow and Saturday right here on East Campus. We have the Omaha Men's Garden Club plant sale, uh, May 5th and May 6th. That's in Omaha, obviously, based on the screen and the name. We have the Herbal Society's 21st Annual Plant and Bake Sale, May 6th, here in Lincoln. And we have the May Museum uh, Annual Perennial Plant Sale, which is in Fremont. So some great things for people to be uh, able to do in the uh, gardening world. 
All right, we have one question for you. This is from Elkhorn Jody. It's a cocoon, mm -hmm. and they're wondering uh, what it is, good guy or bad? Um, it's going to be a beautiful polyphemus moth. Yeah, yeah they're so lucky. The end of May or so. All right, two pictures on this one. Uh, she had a little difficulty because he wouldn't hold still. He was on a serviceberry bush, brown and white fuzzy body, black and Black transparent wings, long black beak, spider-like legs. It's the most adorable fly. This is called a bee fly because it's a bee mimic and it feeds on pollen and nectar. All right, so a good guy. Yeah, I think we had another picture of that from another viewer, maybe last week. So they must be out and about. Yeah, they're hard to get pictures of because they hover around and they fly quite fast. <laughs> okay, uh, let's see. This is your just one picture of this for you, Terry. It could be a million, though. Uh, this is a Bellevue viewer with what he's calling backyard backyard greenery. He's identifying <laughs> it as not weed, but he's saying it is a weed. What it, can he do about it? It is a weed and it is not weed and I'd be happy to show you some in the backyard farmer garden. Yeah, so what uh, does he do about it? Uh, you can spray it. Um, you'll probably need like a three-way um, three product to broadleaf weed killer. Um, I would do it now while it's tiny. Once it starts to get big, it's, it's much harder to get rid of. All right. Uh, this is um, a viewer from Lincoln also. He says, what is this weed and how and when does he get rid of it? That's not a weed. Those are violets. <laughs> and violets are very pretty in your lawn, so I say leave them. <laughs> He's not going to be happy with your answer, you know. <laughs> well, if you really want to get rid of them, then um, you can use a broadleaf weed killer in the fall. So the best time to get rid of them is in the fall. All right, and one more. This is a viewer who in Sprague who uh, says this is taking over CRP. This is uh, chokecherry. How do they get rid of this? So there's several ways that you can get rid of this. One way is burning, but we haven't been able to do that for quite some time now because of our dry conditions. Uh, there's like this really cool tool that you can go out and you kind of stick it at the bottom and then you step on it and you pull it out, which is very fun. Or um, you can go out and you can cut it and then put some stump killer or something like that on it right away and do that. So it guess depends on how much you have. So yeah, a lot of it. And unfortunately, it's just going to keep coming back. Yes. All right. Let's see, uh, Kyle, this is a lawn issue for you. He gave us a lot of information. Bluegrass last two, three years, he's plugged and overseeded. He does water. Uh, west side of the house. This is where the snow sits every year. So, so, and he does a six-step program. So, is this snow mold, or what do we think is going it, on? This? It could be snow mold. Um, certainly possible. There was a fair amount of snow mold this year in areas that did get snow. Um, I was actually thinking it's probably more likely melting out. Um, so, leaf spot and melting out. Just a very it's a, there's a whole bunch of different fungi that cause it. Um, typically, if you have um, proper irrigation, proper fertility, it should come back just fine. All right, let's see. Uh, your next one here is two pictures of a really old Schefflera. Crown is seven feet tall, growing regularly, but has these these funky things on the leaves. What's wrong with the old buddy? This is from Fremont. I think it's some leaves that are overwatered. Ah, all right, so stop the watering. And then you have one more pick, and this is fun. I gave it to you just because. 
It's a tulip leaf anomaly. This is in Lincoln, and you're looking at this little bifurcated leaf that's both green and pink, kind of down there on the stem of the plant. Yeah, it's just a, a cool mutation. Um, flower petals are nothing but modified leaves, and so this is just a leaf that modified a little bit early. And a, a little bit lower than the flower. Yeah, but I, yeah, you're lucky. <laughs> All right, uh, Sarah, you have one picture on this one. This is a Phillips, Nebraska viewer, popped up in her tulips. This is crown fritillary, uh, fritillary imperialis, and it's a bulb, hardy to zone five. So very, very fun thing. Keep it in your landscape. Exactly. Uh, and then you have one here from Shenandoah, Iowa. She's saying these little seedlings pop up in many of her flower beds. She does not see them in the yard. They're in both sunny and shady areas. She always assumes they're weeds. What are they for real? These are American linden seedlings. So you've got some seeds from a tree nearby that is germinating. In other words, she could either start her own nursery of linden or... Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you could grow some of your own little trees if you want to. And then uh, your final two pictures for the evening are a bird planted this shrub in the landscape about 20 years ago. She's been trimming it back uh, and it's gotten really tall, has pink flowers. What is it? Actually, this is a crab apple. So, you know, birds do love to eat the crab apples and they can move those seeds around, you know, quite readily. So um, you have more of a shrub form rather than a tree form. But, you know, if you like it, there's no reason that you can't just keep it and let it grow. Well, and it is one of those fun things where the birds bring, I actually have one of those. I have an entire colony of viburnums. I have mm -hmm. all sorts of elderberry. I have choke cherry. I have pretty much a, a whole landscape that is bird planted. Mm -hmm. And uh, as we have only 20 seconds left, who is going to go home and do some watering tonight? Yes? No. Yes? yes. No. 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 Not tonight. Not tonight. And Jody doesn't water at all. Mm -mm. <laughs> Not tonight, but soon. <laughs> all right. Or do this, cross mm -hmm. our fingers and hope for rain.